you don't stop learning when it comes to butchering. There's so many different aspects to it, and um, and now you know butcher shops are evolving. So um, you know if you're into food and you want to be a chef, you can still cook and you can still produce those products in a butcher shop as well. It's only been good to me. I can't fault it. This is the crackling. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Career in food is alluring for many. Some find their place on the tools and learning the art and craft of butchery. And there are some, like Luke Layson, that hone those skills and take on the world. Luke, how are you? Good, thank you, mate. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm good. It's good to get you on the show. You are a busy man. You're not only a full-time butcher, but you're captain of the Australian um, butcher team as well. Like, how, how do you go from working in a butcher to taking on the world? Yeah, it was, uh, I guess it's a very extensive question. I just kind of, I mean, back when I first got into competition butchering, it was it was just a Facebook post from the Australian team, uh, the Steelers back then, and just looking for um, extra hands to, to go over and take on the world. So um, yeah, I guess through application process and um, a trans-Tasman test match, I um, found my way into the team and we, um, we we won that test match by the way if there's any New Zealanders listeners out, out there but um, yeah and then um, I guess I want to I want to say I Stephen Bradbury the uh, the captaincy because um, the uh, unfortunately this the Steelers uh, had to I guess a, a lot of the people pulled out through COVID and, and the team kind of um, diminished and then this new Australian butchering team came to, came to life and I was um one of the last man standing. So, um, yeah. It sounds a bit like you should have a baggy green with these test matches. Can you give us an idea of sort of what's involved in the, in the sort of world titles? So when we do the world butchers challenge, it is, um, it's an event every three years now they've, um, put it out an extra year just cause it is so big and, and so long to kind of get organized with. Um, it is three hours and 15 minutes for a team of six to break down a side of beef, a side of pork, a whole lamb and five chickens, and essentially just display it in any means necessary, as as elaborate as you like. Um, Value added products, cooked products, um, sausages, burgers—basically what we think is going to be the future of uh, you know products you'll see in a butcher shop. It's very big. It's very elaborate. Um, they, they do dub it the Olympics of meat. <laughs> um- well, obviously, this is a, a pork podcast and we're talking pork. Tell us about what you did sort of with pork on the world stage, like, you know, with that sort of mindset that you had. So especially with the, the first World Butcher Challenge that I took part in, which was in Ireland 2018, um, I broke down the pork. Um, and essentially from there, my role was to value add products from the pork, but also to trim to spec to other um, other teammates who were going to use the pork as well. So um, basically utilizing the whole thing is a must. You, if you've got meat left over at the end of the competition, there's no chance you're going to win it. That's a, that's a big one. Um, but then I guess fast forwarding into uh, the Sacramento, uh, California World Butcher Challenge that we just competed in, um, my good friends, uh, Craig and Brett, they took care of the whole pork. And I don't know if ever, you've had Brett Laws on the show. Um, and just to see some of the um, the products that he makes, it's just, um, just blows my mind. And, you know, I've been, you know, we've all been butchering for so long, but then some of the things that he comes out with is just out of this world. 
<laughs> These days you're in um, you're in South Australia uh, at Goodwood Quality Meats. Tell us a little bit about the operation there and what you guys do. So we're just a, uh, I'd say like a neighbourhood butcher shop. We're uh, still on the main street. We've got the um, the old school coal plate window at the front still. Um, it's been there since 1963, um, which is which is I thought was old. And then I, I caught up with an English butcher just the other week, and his his shops from like the 19 you know 1903 or something ridiculous like that. So um, kind of took me down a peg. But uh, 1963, still old, still an institute. Um, the Goodwood, the area is a very eclectic area. Like people are very arty. They like their food. Um, they like to come in with a recipe, buy I guess the cut as it is. And take home and then create it. Um, that's the, not to say we don't create anything of our own in store, um, but I guess as Sydney butchers, um, Melbourne, very very value adding, very oven ready um, for the time poor. But we, I guess, move our value adding into small goods and dry curing and charcuterie. Um, so which is very good for pork because we kind of use it use the whole thing and, and nothing goes to waste and there's just so much so much you can do with the side of pork so um, I guess with South Australia as well we're a bit more of a German background in our butchering and, and our small goods making so um, we go into you know the Kranskys are probably the 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 more you know normal one that people would think of when they think of German small goods but we delve into black forest ham, uh, which is dry cured um, leg leg of pork, um, much like a prosciutto, but boneless and doesn't take you know twelve months to two years to make. Um, Nushinkins, we make a German style black pudding, which is absolutely delightful. Like I'm not really big on, I wasn't really big on black pudding um, as an as an English one because I thought it was very harsh me but this the german ones is it's got a bit of cinnamon all spice cloves it's a bit sweeter in a sense um but yeah just really really focusing on those products and and um putting them out to the to the masses which is always a a real enjoyment for i guess the customers when they come in and we can slice these products and just kind of feed them while we while we serve them it's always a bit of a show there's a real sort of art and craft to charcuterie. Is there sort of one product that really stands out for you that you could take us through the process of how to make it? Um, well, I guess I could probably go through the the black pudding um, recipe because that one's taken me a while to master. Um, it absolutely defeated me the first few times. Like it, like when I say it's a bloody mess, like that is a correct terminology. Like it was just everywhere. So. I first got a recipe just um, from my friend that's the English butcher with no real method to be able to do it. So I kind of just chucked all the ingredients together and just like I would a sausage, mixed it up and try to pump it through our sausage filler. And yeah, it was just everywhere. Um, but now we've we've kind of uh, got a gentleman here who is a, he's a Dutch small goods maker. He's 60 odd, but he probably looks about 45. He's doing very well for himself. Um, and he's been kind enough to, I guess teaches some of his great uh, his grandfather's recipes. So this is where we've um, pulled this from. So I guess it's it's there's a lot of parts and pro, um, processes to get started. Like there's you know you've got to blanch the back fat, you've got to cook. Um, you know we get pork uh, pig heads in and cook them down and pull the meat off of it, mince that up, make a head cheese. Um, you've got to source the blood, um, weigh up all the spices, and then. I guess once you start making your black pudding, you can't stop because it is very heat, like temperamental. Um, you need to you know, we, uh, have the, heat the blood up, um, 
you know, it can't be too hot, otherwise it won't um, uh, blend with the, the head cheese. You can't have it too cold, otherwise it's, uh, it's not going to fill out properly. Um, you know, got to add bits and pieces step by step um, in the correct order. Otherwise, um, you know, the texture towards the end is, is not going to help you fill it out, which is, um, yeah, filling it out again is a different, um, is a different kettle of fish trying to make them, you know, we've got an auto linker and auto filler, which for, um, anyone who doesn't know is a godsend in the sausage making, um, construction because it basically portions out, you know, to the apps, to the gram, but because it is a, because it's a more of a liquid and it's, um, it's not, it's, it kind of. A different texture it doesn't really work too too well with it so then i do have to go back to the hydraulic filler and and you know well go back to um testing my skills at it as an actual sausage maker i guess <laughs> well i want to explore sort of what you're doing there and delve into the world of pork and the different cuts and stuff like that shortly but take us back to when you were young what, what sort of role did food play in your life growing up i was i was actually talking to my partner about this the other day my partner's greek so for her um, you know, food has been massive and, and it's been good food. But I guess like no no disrespect to my parents because they were def- they put food on the table, they fed us, they kept kept us healthy, you know, they kept the root. But my mom is a terrible cook and she knows it. Um, she once bought a uh, barbecue chicken from the supermarket and managed to burn it somehow by reheating it. So um and and my my father did most of the cooking, but I wouldn't say that there was any I, I was. I think the best thing he ever did was a deep fried ice cream. Um, but the worst thing, and I know I'm supposed to be pumping up pork here, but the worst thing he cooked. No, it, it was. It's not that he cooked it bad. It's just I ate it so many times. I don't think I can eat it again. Is the the humble ham steak, um, just fried with chips. I think my dad used to have pineapple, and I used to just cover it with tomato sauce to get it down. And and what was worse, there was used to be mash on TV. You know the. Uh, that old, um, yeah. So my, I think like a recurring nightmare for me is a ham steak with the mash theme song in the background. But I guess that's, I guess that's made me appreciate food now. I know what you know what I know what it could be. I don't know what um, bland uh, food. Sorry, sorry, dad. Sorry, mum. But um, tastes like. Um, but now I, I try everything. Um, if I don't like it the first time, I'll definitely try it again and again until um, you know I can make up my mind and say, yep, that's not for me. But um, yeah, I do appreciate um, good food now, and going out to you know to good restaurants or even good home cooked f- uh, food from my uh, Greek in laws. Tell us about the moment that you sort of started to think about you know a career as a butcher. Was you know what what led to that? I think it definitely was like I wanted to be a chef outside of high school. I didn't really know. I knew I wasn't like academically that great. Um, my my best subjects in school were. Uh, PE and uh, hospitality and I think the teacher I had at the time kind of made hospitality fun and just the the idea of being able to you know I got in trouble a few times because I'd order too many elaborate ingredients to cook with like like see like yeah prawns I've spent spent a lot of money on prawns one day and got in trouble but um but yeah just just being able to cook at school and um I guess as well like I was probably if not the only or one of two males in the class so um, you know, as a young teenage boy, I th- was getting a bit of attention from other girls in the class and wanted to be my partner in the, in the, I guess the, the cooking element of the, of the class. So, I mean, that kind of gives you a little bit of a head wobble when you're, you know, like a, a 14 year old, 14 year old guy at high school. But, um, 
I worked, I just basically, my, my dad walked past a butcher shop and saw that they were after a cleaner. So he um, basically stuck my hand up for me. I was 13 and a half. And um, once I started there, I got offered an apprenticeship a bit later on in, um, I think I was about 16. And I've, I held back because I wanted to finish at least year 11, um, then started the apprenticeship at 17. And still to that point thought, this would be a great stepping stone to be a chef. You know, I can get this done and it will give me that 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 competitive edge. Um, but then I just really started enjoying butchering and and then, you know, butchering hours is long, but split shifts looked worse for me as a chef. So I thought I'd stick stick to the retail hours. In those early years when you started to learn your craft um, and started to get interested in being a butcher as a career, uh, how, how did it make you feel being in the kitchen and, and on the tools? Yeah, I just um, I just remember going into the, the shop every day and I could – I remember the smell of a butcher shop um, because I wasn't really used to it. It wasn't like I went to butcher shops every Saturday and, and, and bought my own meat, but I just remember the smell and the – I don't know, just the the constant work and you constantly busy. Um, I think I enjoy being on my feet and doing stuff with my hands. Um, and, yeah, just – it's just a good, good atmosphere, and I had good people around me when I first started. So they kind of made it. It wasn't so much. I wasn't so much in love with the craft as soon as I started, but I think I was just in love with the idea of being at work and earning money, and um, yeah, just the hustle and bustle of the whole um, retail shop vibe. Early on in your career, was there, was there anyone uh, that was sort of really important as a mentor that sort of helped you carve a path as a butcher? Yeah, so basically the the gentleman that um, I guess was my manager when I first cleaned up a wood shop was Dave Armstrong, um, and he's the one that offered me the apprenticeship, and I still work for him now. Um, but other than that, as well, like my my popper and my dad are both very hard workers. Nothing to do with the meat industry or food industry, but it did take I guess a leaf out of their book to um, I guess that was my work drive um, and and to push me further like that. But my yeah, so Dave Armstrong, he he's great in the sense of he's always pushing to um, make yourself better. So if we want to do courses, we do cooking cooking courses when we first started, or now small goods um, leadership courses. He's very happy to to make the shop work around you know having that little bit extra time off, so you can go better yourself. And um, you know when I do all these competitions, it's obviously a bit of a strain on the shop um, having to leave, but it's just never a problem. Do you remember the first time that you broke down a whole pig and what the experience was like? Yeah, well, I guess as a as a butcher, or as for me, especially, like it takes me a, a few times. I got to do it over and over again to get it um, embedded into my skull. So I think the first time it was um, we we didn't ever broke down too much. Um, uh, I think we maybe done two or three sides a week. Um, so for an apprentice to to try to get hold of one of those sides, so you can do it. And then do it once a week or maybe once every two weeks. I was, um, yeah, it would take me a bit to get my head around. But I remember it was always hanging. Um, we would take the forequarter off first. And it it seems weird to think now that I would have looked really awkward and um, unco trying to um, take this forequarter off. Because basically you, you put the knife through between the ribs, um, get to the bone and then use the saw. But it's only hanging maybe, I don't know, 15 centimetres off the ground. So you've got to use a butcher's hook 
to hold it. So when you do cut it and it drops a little bit, your left hand or your right hand, whichever preference it is, to make sure it doesn't hit the ground. But I can just, it probably would have looked like a really awkward formal dance, like trying to grapple this grapple this side of pork and just try to get it off onto the bench unscathed. And, and I probably, you know, I probably didn't do the the cleanest job of getting through the joints or that, but um, I can safely say now I've got better at it. When did you start to sort of get the confidence? You know, you you enter competitions and things like that, but when did you sort of find your feet on the tools and and feel like you know you're in your element? Well, that's uh, that's the thing with butchering as well. Like you you finish your apprenticeship maybe three or four years, whatever it is, in some uh, different states, but. You don't really learn the craft until, like I still didn't feel comfortable doing certain things four or five years after because it's, again, I have to do it multiple times to get it into my head. But I don't think I was ever, I don't think I ever get to a point where I was like, yep, yeah, I'm I'm 100% confident in what I do now and I'm going to join the Australian team and, and be the captain. Like, I don't think there was a point. I just, I just, as I said, I just saw that post and I thought, well, well, what's the worst they can do? They can just say no. And a bit of imposter syndrome as well, like, you know, uh, going into the team for the first time, uh, um, the other team members had already done it for two or three times. So I looked up to them in in ultimate awe and, th- you know, thinking I'm not good enough um, for this. And, and at points I probably wasn't good enough because I'd never experienced um, that side of it before. But I don't know, I think once, I'm going to sound older here, even though I'm not, not too old, but especially in the butchering category, but you just kind of, I don't know, you just, don't really like you, you care what your peers think, but then you can pick which peers' comments can kind of affect you. Like everyone's gonna have a problem with someone at some point, or you're not gonna make everyone happy. Which I thought growing up you probably could, but I don't know. You just, I guess, you you get your confidence from the people that um, you can take, you know, take that kind of advice from and, and criticism, and then just don't worry about the rest. South Australia is renowned for incredible produce. Um, do you have any stories of connections with pig farmers uh, through your career? That's the, uh, that's a very embarrassing story for me because I have yet to go on out to a piggery and it is my New Year's resolution. Yeah, and, and being part of Australian Pork and, and all the work that you know we kind of do with them and, and do together, I've just recently had a formal invitation from uh, – a pig farmer here to come out to one. So um, I had two two news resolutions. One was to go out and do like a home kill with my mate. So I've done that um, to see that side of it. And the next one is to visit a piggery. So um, yeah, it is embarrassing to say, but it's definitely, it's on the to-do list. Well, it's, uh, you know, most people on the planet haven't done it. So don't don't beat yourself up too bad. But <laughs> Thanks, t- t- tell us about the your other mission for the year. You said you did that. Um, what was that experience like? Uh, it was a little bit um, confronting <laughs> uh, for me, especially like butchering has definitely changed in the way where I guess you used to be stuck into the four walls of your shop and it was very hard to get out there and to get inspired. But now there's so many different things that you can do. Um, I know, just to kind of breathe a bit of fresh air into you and, you know, makes you come back to the shop a bit, a bit um, with a bit of a spring in your step. But yeah, it was definitely, you know, I'm I'm not great with blood. I know that's um, a weird thing to say as a butcher. Like if I, it's basically like if I cut myself, I've got to sit down because all the colour will drain from my, uh, my, my head. Um, yeah, I've got to have a bit of a breather. I've got better. I've got heaps better, but still not great. So the thought of uh, the home kill job, I was, um, you know, the, at the start we, 
uh, basically in the back of a truck, you know, cutting up, um, you know, the the beast that he'd uh, processed uh, the week prior, which is really nice because, you know, you're out in um, fresh air and different sceneries and you, you're cutting up produce with a nice backdrop. And then it was the second half of the day that I, I think I went a little bit quiet and I thought, no, you just got to get through it. I said, I, I didn't do the processing or the harvesting myself. I thought I'd just watch this one and see how I go. Um, and, you know, um, I got through it. And it was it was an experience, and I didn't faint or anything. I was uh, stood stood strong. But next time I go out, I might um, I might try my luck at maybe um, skinning or you know just just the extra step, a baby steps for me. Butchers have always been great hubs of the community, and you know there's often the recommendations from a butcher on different cuts and sort of what's available. It's sort of cuts that are quite popular of the pig, and and maybe some that aren't. And how do you how do you sort of usher people into sort of using those underutilized or secondary parts? Well, I think straight up with, um, I guess, your local butcher shop, you you kind of create that relationship with customers so you can get a gauge on what they do and don't like or what they haven't tried before. And I guess if you give them recommendations, you know, through their whole, um, their whole experience coming through to the butcher shop, they'll trust you if you do maybe um, – you know, put out something that might be a little bit obscure for them or something different at least. Um, I mean, with all the cooking tips we can give and, um, yeah, experiences that with our own um, cooking, yeah, I guess you just got to gain the trust of the, the customer t- to them. And they might come back and just say, no, that's not for me or I totally buggered it up. But that's that's the whole experience. And, um, I mean, one, one thing that's probably over my career that I've seen go absolutely nuts is pork ribs and that's – um, you know, purely because the American low and slow, uh, low and slow scene. But yeah, I remember as an apprentice, you would you would bone really heavy on the on the ribs, so there was no meat on them basically because no one really wanted to buy them. And now we're boning out for bacon sides, but we're leaving um, as much meat as we can on the ribs because it's a better eating quality, but it's also better money in it for, for us as butchers. It's fascinating that that sort of connection that butchers have with their clients and um, that trust that is built. And, and often there's, um, you know, a cooking method that might be shared as well. How important is being able to cook for your role? Yeah, it's uh, very important. And I guess when, when I first started, you kind of, I kind of thought I had to know everything. But as long as there's someone in the shop that knows um, a bit about it and it's just guidelines really, like we, we could – we could handle to another um, another butcher in the shop or um, yeah another salesperson and just just to make sure that we can kind of give them guidance. I don't think you need to know, you know the you know step one to fourteen, and because the customer's not going to remember that when they get home. You just need to give them a few tips and tricks to get through it, and um, yeah, just to not absolutely bugger it up. But um, I guess pork pork crackling has been the biggest one when no one is very comfortable cooking it, but there is a million and one ways to, like we always used to give tips and tricks and I'm not sure which ones work better than others. I think we need to do a full scientific experiment over it, but you know, like boiling hot water over the skin um, to dry, uh, to kind of dry it out and then you're getting a hairdryer on it. Um, I've heard lemon, uh, lemon juice while you're cooking it to, to heat it up, um, you know, putting it in the fridge. I normally just have it in the fridge uncovered for, as many days as you can get away with, with, you know, putting salt on it and then replacing it and putting more salt on it. But, 
Um, that was always a, a funny one for me, listening to everyone, every butcher's tips and tricks for pork crackling because it just seemed like everyone had their own home re- remedy on how to get it done. Yeah, and I think among, amongst chefs, it's the same thing. They've all got their own little sort of techniques that kind of work and, you know, everyone's got different ovens as well that work differently. Um, is there any sort of cut that stands out for you in regards to cooking that you like to cook and can you tell us how you do it? I guess... Um I do, I do like a. It's it's a bit of a not a bone of contention, but we're we're trying to put a name to it now. So it's a it's basically a, a tomahawk, but it's a pork tomahawk. So whether it be a tomahawk or a porkahawk, or um, I put it out on my socials um, to see what people and there was some some absolute doozies that came back. But I mean, just to have like the the nice leanness of the eye, the whole belly there as well, and 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 some crackling. It's kind of got. Um, the three of the best bits of of the pork. So, um, and it's I, I find it's, you know it's easy to cook. Like it's not gonna it doesn't take too long. Um, it's a bit of a showstopper, um, and yeah, it's a little bit a little bit different. I'm quite fascinated about these world titles that we sort of talked about at the beginning of the show. Take us on a journey of it. What what's it like? You know, being part of that team. What what happens and, and what's the build up and you know how do you decide on who's doing what. Yeah, it's, it's it's a great atmosphere to be in, part of the um, the Australian uh, butchering team. Uh, we, I guess, we were very rushed into the last competition. We had about five months to prepare, rather than um, two years how you'd normally get. So it was a very big whirlwind of experiences, and just you know, thank you to all our amazing sponsors that got us over there. Because without you know, leading hands in the industry to to help us get over there, it's not going to happen. And um, you know, we've got team managers and um, just people that give up their their free time to to organize, you know, flights, accommodation, practices, produce. Um, we had, you know, a meeting every week leading up to it just to to make sure we were on top of it. But it is um, – it's it's a great experience and a great community to be in. Like now that the competition is done, we, we're moving on to the next one, which has just been announced. It's in uh, Paris in 2025. Um, and we got a bit more time for this one, but it's still, even though the competition is, you know, a couple of years away, like we still bounce ideas off of, um, the butchers that we're in the team with, or, uh, the young butchers and the apprentices, like we're all, you know, you make mates and, and, um, great connections. So it's, yeah, it's definitely not just for the competition, but it's for the, I guess the, the time period after and, and yeah, and going forward as well. Like I've made some really great mates out of going into the team and, um, yeah, mentors and, and just, just keep learning from them as well. For someone that's um, making quite an incredible career out of butchery, what advice would you have for you, for young people that might want to look into it as a career? Well, that's um, I don't think being on a construction site, shoveling dirt in a 35-degree day is, is, my, is not fun. I, I just – if you enjoy it, that's like – Congratulations. But for me, being out and I'm like, you know, I've got quite fair skin and got a bit of ginger hair. So the sun wouldn't be kind to me out in those circumstances. So being a being a butcher, it's, it's very re- rewarding. And it, I mean, if you're creative, it's a very creative job as well. It's not just, you know, slicing a steak and chucking it on a tray. Like there's displaying, there's um, customer interaction, there's, um, you know, product development, there's all these, like, you just don't, you don't stop learning when it comes to butchering. There's so many different aspects to it. And, um, and now, you know, butcher shops are evolving. So, um, you know, if you're into food and you want to be a chef, you can still 
cook and you can still produce those products in a butcher shop as well. Um, but it's it's not, it's it's only been good to me. I can't fault it. Um, you know, there's people always got to eat, so you're always going to have a job as long as you're you know a, a decent worker and a, and a good butcher. You always find work wherever you go. Um, the the opportunities to travel overseas and to to work in butcher shops in um, especially with the Well Butchers Challenge, there's such a community there now. You could message someone on Instagram from Germany and. Um, you know, they'll put you in the right direction to go work in a shop over there. And like working holidays have just never been so easy. And you could probably make good, you know, better money than, um, and better shifts and, and that kind of stuff while traveling. So, um, yeah, I just, I think, you know, with the, the ideal or the idea of what a butcher is or was is changed dramatically over the past five to 10 years. And I think it's, I think it's, yeah, it's a, Great industry and, and like if you're passionate about it, it can you know the the world is your oyster, or or your your world is your pork oyster. <laughs> you you mentioned the German team there and sort of being able to text people and the different friendships that you form. Are there any sort of rivalries in these sort of world titles and sort of um, like we have in sports? There there is, but there and but there also isn't. So I remember when I first started in the team, it was a very tense kind of you know we wouldn't speak to the New Zealand team because you know we wouldn't want them to get you know any of our secrets or you know or like the English team you know we wouldn't speak to them because uh, we weren't allowed to and stuff but now with the Australian butchering team like the new uh, the new era of it it is you want to go there and win but it's also very nice to watch your friends from other countries do well um so there is there is competitive edge, but it's it's at no way there's no animosity between teams. And I'm only speaking from an Australian point of view. And I think for us in many codes of sport, um, we don't have that deep hatred for any other um, you know country or culture because we're quite new to it. Um, but in saying that, if we were to come, if there's 12 teams in the competition and we were to come 11th. That's okay as long as the New Zealanders come uh, last. So um, they're just they're like your they're like your your brother. You want them to do well, but not as well as yourself. <laughs> well, Luke, it's an absolute honour to have you on the Crackling today to hear a part of your story. Uh, good luck with the Worlds again in the next couple of years, and um, keep in touch, and we'll catch up again soon. Beautiful. Thank you very much for having me, Matt. I really appreciate it. This is the Crackling, a deep in the weeds production in partnership with Porkstart. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.